Thank you, choir. I appreciate that so very much. And blessed is a nation that uh, who they recognize that God of the universe is their God. So thank you so much, choir. I appreciate that song very, very much. Thank you so much. Glad to be with you here today. I want you to know and understand that uh, you have and I have a treasure that is inside of us if we know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. In fact, you may not realize it, but you have an unknown treasure inside of you here today. And I want to talk about that so, so uh, a great deal here this morning and get to the point. So if you have your Bibles with you, uh, I'd ask you to uh, turn to 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. That's where we'll be for just a few moments this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And we'll begin with the first verse. Therefore, since we have this ministry, because we were shown mercy, we do not give up. Instead, we have renounced shameful secret things, not walking in deceit or distorting God's message, but commending ourselves to every person's conscience. In God's sight, by an open display of the truth. But if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this age has blinded the minds of the unbelievers, so they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Verse 5. For we are not proclaiming ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, And ourselves as your slaves because of Jesus. For God who said let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of God's glory in the face of Jesus Christ. In verse 7. Now we have this treasure in clay jars so that this extraordinary power may be from God and not. From us, Would you join me in prayer? Father, thank you for your presence with us this morning. Thank you, Father, that uh, you hear our prayers. And Lord, I pray that you would speak to our hearts in just the few moments we have together, Lord. May you be honored and glorified. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Several years ago, I came across a newspaper article. Uh, and it was... Uh, uh, concerning a man from Chattanooga, Tennessee, who was a rock collector. And uh, he was at a flea market. And going through all the things at a flea market. Anybody here ever go to flea markets and buy things and so forth? Well, he was looking at this rock that was being sold as a paperweight. And uh, he looked at it, thought it was nice. And he was a rock collector, of course. And so he offered to buy it. And they charged him $2.00 for this rock and so he was enamored with the rock and took it home and decided to go and uh, talk to a friend of his who was a gemologist and he asked the man he said would you look at this rock and tell me what kind of rock it is and the guy looked it over examined it and he said you know what you got here you have a sapphire worth tens of thousands of dollars so what was valueless the day before has now been an indication that it's 
of great value today when he realized what he had. I think some Christians today are kind of like that. We don't realize the value that is in each of us that Christ has given to us. We, in fact, uh, we, we think maybe that we're not uh, uh, worth much at all sometimes or we're not able to do anything spectacular because we're just regular old folks. Well, I want to tell you something. Jesus died for us regular old folks. And when he saved our soul, when he came into our hearts, when we invited him into our hearts, we became something even of more value, of greater value. That is, we have the presence of the Holy Spirit in our very lives. Woo! Amen! We have the opportunity to have the presence of Almighty God with us 24-7. We are of great value. Now, if you were to listen to the world, you might think that we're of no value. But the Bible says and tells us that we are of incredible value because we have this incredible treasure that has been placed in these old clay jars of ours. And, and this treasure is our status as ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now you might say, well, Terry, I'm not a minister. Yes, you are. You may not be a vocational minister like myself, but you are a minister of the gospel that has been entrusted to you. You realize that, right? Do I have to do that again? Yes or no? Some people may not realize that you've been entrusted with the gospel. Therefore, that makes you a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So how are you doing, ministers? How are we doing with the, that treasure that is placed inside of us? I was going to get to this a little bit later on, but let me get there right now, if I may. In Jesus' time and in Paul's time, when he wrote this, clay jars were a dime a dozen. I mean, they made them up and they were fragile. They would break. But they used these clay jars to put precious things in. Uh, liquid or jewels or uh, treasures of some kind. It's interesting that they would entrust some of their most precious possessions, the most treasured possessions, in these simple, fragile, breakable Little clay jars. Well, folks, Jesus has done, God has done the same thing with us because we're fragile. We're breakable, but we're clay jars. And he created us in such a way that we have the opportunity to contain something we can't put a value on. Whoo! I don't know about you, but this is just washed all over me this week. We... We have the privilege, we get to carry with us this amazing treasure uh, as our status as ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So what does it mean to be a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Well, I'm glad you asked. 
Because I'm going to try to answer that question for you today if I may. Well, what it first means is that we have a divine call. A divine call. Because when Jesus is involved, it's always divine. And he has said to us, by, by virtue of the fact that he saved our lives, that he's called us to be surrendered, sacrificed. Where have you heard this before? Huh? Listening to him, abiding in him, obeying him, walking in the light. You, you've heard that uh, the call of God is to love each other as Christ loved the church, to serve and share and reproduce ourselves. You've heard that before. That is not a suggestion, but rather a command. Of God that we're to be his disciples. And and we have this gospel, this message inside of us, this treasure. Listen, the message of Jesus Christ is so valuable, it can change the trajectory of a person's life forevermore. In eternity and here as well. You realize that you have inside of you this responsibility as a minister of the, of the of Jesus Christ, a call, if you will, to change people's lives. Wow. I think it was Louis Giglio that said, wow, 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 wow. Do we have that responsibility and that privilege and that opportunity? Because he's changed your life, right? I mean, listen. He saved me from hell. He forgave my sins. He redeemed me. You know what redeemed means? He took me back. He turned me around. He took me from the direction I was going and pulled me back. He snatched me from going to a place that I don't want to go. And he provided for me a guarantee that I'll spend eternity with him in glory when I ask him into my heart and life. Oh my goodness. He saved my soul. That Lord, that God has called me and you to serve him, to share this treasure that we have inside of us, to be the ministers. It is a divine call that he's given to us. And you know, this call is not an optional call. Oh no, here we go. Yeah, but you know, we like options in America, don't we? Oh man, we love options. You go buy a car, a new car, and you, you, you know, all these cars have all kinds of options on them. You can get the basic model, or you can get Add options onto it, and you can get the most expensive model. And so when you go to shop for cars, yeah, I want that one, I don't want this. I want this, I don't want this. The sad thing is, I think that many Christians today in America believe that their Christianity and their ministry is optional. I don't find that in the Bible. You know what I find in the Bible? You are to be my disciples. You must produce much fruit. If you do, I will do this or that. I will be with you. I will deliver you. I will provide your needs. I will take care of you. I will give you all. This is Jesus saying all these things. The call is not an optional call. We were saved to serve. 
You know that, right? We were saved. We were snatched out of hell, given heaven, so that we may tell others how they can have that the same thing can be said of them, and that we could serve him and grow in the knowledge and the admonition of the Lord. I mean, this thing about being a Christian is an awesome thing. It's not an easy thing, because if it was easy, it wouldn't be worth much. It is a at times a difficult thing, but it is worth the journey. My sweet little bride and I have been married over 40 years. It's not always been an easy journey because she's had to live with me. See? Well, okay, since you mentioned that, yeah, I had to live with her. (laughs) You notice I didn't say that until after she said something, okay? But I, I I want you to know something. Using that as an illustration. While it may have been difficult through the years, it's been worth every moment of it. Now, I wouldn't trade my life for nothing with her. Now, as much as I love that, and as powerful as that is for me, that pales in comparison to the journey I've spent with my Savior all these nearly 51 years, or 51 years I've been a Christian. Listen, it's not easy uh, uh, carrying out the call that I have, the uh, not optional call that I have to serve Him. It's not been easy. It's been disappointing. It's been hard. It's been hurtful along the way sometimes. But boy, I'm telling you, it's worth every second of it. For, For you see, all it takes... For all the rejection and all the problems and all the difficulties and all the uh, unrealized expectations to see one soul come to see Jesus Christ as his or her Lord and Savior, it's worth every problem I've ever had, every difficulty I've ever had. It's worth it all to see one church in in the position that I have, that I serve in now. See one church have the light bulb come on. One church realize their their impact they can have and they turn around and do something and souls begin to say, people's lives begin to change. Uh, Hearts turned on. Joy return to the church. Oh my goodness, we need joy in the church of the living God today. And all the pain that we go through, all the difficulty we go through is worth it all. When my mother passed away, she had uh, pancreatic cancer. And uh, last three weeks or so of her life, she didn't really know anybody, but there was a smile on her face. I remember a week before she died, I went down to visit her. She didn't know who I was, but there was a smile on her face. My little sister said something about Jesus, and there's a smile on her face. All the pain that she had, all the difficulty my mother had in her life, all the the the, the difficulty of raising me and my sisters. This my sisters were the worst ones. Okay, but anyway, uh, all of that difficulty dealing with my father's illness throughout his life, all of that was hard. My mother had a difficulty. I, I, I must admit. But listen, when it came to the end of our life and she knew and heard about Jesus, I believe, now I don't know this for sure, but I believe when we heard, when we said the word Jesus, she was seeing her Lord. 
And she realized that at that moment, at that time, very shortly, she will reap the benefits of a life sacrificed for Jesus Christ. And she is enjoying those benefits this day. This day. Almost 20 years ago, she passed away. And she is now experiencing that. Listen, the, 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 and that all goes back to the treasure that we have instilled in us through the Holy Spirit and the ministry that we have as ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Oh, my goodness. Uh, this call is not also, it's also not a temporary call. Look what he says there in verse 1. Since we have this ministry. Paul, by the way, was talking to him, responding to his critics... Uh, in this particular letter, in, in the first letter to the Corinthians, he was dealing with moral uh, uh, corruption and moral uh, problems in that church and in that uh, uh, area that he needed to address. But in, in the second letter, he was responding to the critics who said that Paul was using his ministry to manipulate people to get his own way. Nothing could be further from the truth of what he actually said. It, it was quite the opposite. There were those in that community and even in that church that were using their position to get their own way and they were being deceitful it was kind of like uh, roaches you all know what roaches are i suspect and if you know anything about them because i grew up in louisiana and we had them all the time we got the big ones you know the the whoppers you know the real big ones and you walk in a room at night turn the light on what do they do they try to, they run for cover don't they and, and uh, that's kind of what Paul's bringing to light. Their, uh, their intentions were doing. They were running for cover. They were blaming him. And he said quite the contrary. I want you to know uh, everything I've done has been out in the open. Uh, I've not been. I've not hit a thing. It's kind of like the one night Greta went into the kitchen and she turned the light on and they, there was a few of them that scattered, but there was one standing there just looking at her. It was a bold one. It was a big one. She said, Terry, he didn't run. He didn't run. I heard a squeal. And when I heard a squeal, I knew there was something in, going on in there. And he didn't. And she, she backed out of there, got away from him, okay? Uh, and Paul was saying, listen, I'm not, I don't need to run for cover. I don't need to hide from anyone. I want you to know everything I've done, I've done out in the open because I know in whom I have believed and who is in me and the treasure I have and the ministry that I have. He was uh, shedding light on the reality of those his, who were his critics. And this call, he says, because of all of that, we do not give up. One of the things that breaks my heart more than anything else is to see Christians give up and quit. If they don't get their way, or they try something for the Lord that they think that the Lord wants them to do and they fail, they say, well, I'm not going to do that again. I don't want to experience that again. I'm just not going to do anything. Or, uh, you know, I, I'll have on Monday mornings, maybe I'll have a pastor will come in. And he says, I'm, that's it. I'm, I'm quitting. I'm, I'm, forget it. I said, stop. Stop just a minute. Remember the call. Remember that the call says you can't give up. And we, we talk and moan and groan together and cry and pray together. And hopefully by the time they leave, I, I tell all preachers, don't resign on money because that's what you feel worst on money. Isn't that right, preacher? Isn't that right? Don't, don't, don't re resign on money. Wait till it's Tuesday or Wednesday, okay? Maybe then, then the God can do something. They'll change all of that. Listen, Christians, I'm telling you the, the ministry that he's entrusted to us, it's not always going to be easy. There are going to be people who reject it, people who won't show up. I mean, you'll plan this whole big thing and no one shows up. I deal with that on a daily basis. 
And if I let it get to me, I'd have quit a long time ago. The Bible says we do not give up. Don't give up on God. He's never given up on you. Stop this business of quitting. If it doesn't meet your personal desires. Listen, all this stuff is not about you. It's not about you at all. It's about him and about them. And in serving him by serving others, we're blessed. We we get the good stuff. I read about a missionary one time in Guatemala who scheduled a discipleship class. And he was ready to go. He was going to disciple those he'd been ministered to for quite some time. And he had one student show up. And he was really discouraged. And the student prayed, Lord, help him not to be discouraged. And so they came and he, they decided, well, we'll just go through the study and just me and you. And they got to the 13th week of it. I think it was Master Life they were in. And at the 13th week, you have the responsibility of sharing your faith. Uh, both in written form and verbal form. And instead of doing that, practicing that, they decided to go out on the, in the community and just share their faith with somebody who needs Jesus. So they came to a, guy, a boy who was shepherding some sheep for his father. And uh, they told him about the good shepherd. Went to a girl who was working in a commercial kitchen washing dishes and told her about the one who could wash her sins away. They went to a mechanic and talked to him about the one who could fix and make brand new his life. Guess what? The boy found the good shepherd. The girl had her sins washed away. And the mechanic found the one who could fix his life. And when they were over, uh, the, the missionary said, Hey, do you think we ought to continue? He said, We better continue. I don't know what's going to happen next. Don't give up on Jesus. Don't quit his church. Don't quit the ministry. Hang in there. Because just around the corner, does he have something special for you? On our recent mission trip, we were driving up to Lee, Massachusetts. Bobby Strother, pastor down at uh, Kashai, was driving. And his boys were with us. His whole family's with us. And they say, Daddy, how far? And he say, just around the corner. You know, and I'd say, well, how far? And Bobby, he said, just around the corner, preacher. How far? He said, just around the corner. That's all he'd re- respond. It was maybe another 500 miles, but it was just right around the corner. But you know what that did? It just said, okay, it's just around the corner. I'll go on to not worry about it. Before you know it, we were there. Don't give up on him. Well, you have a divine call. You have a trustworthy life. The Bible here real quickly says, uh, he says, because we've been shown mercy, the mercy of Jesus. We don't give up. Verse 2 says, we have renounced shameful secret things. That shameful secret things in the Greek has a, a, a powerful meaning. It, it, uh, things of shame. It, 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 uh, it has a huge, a guy, uh, craftiness is the word I was looking for. A guy, uh, guy by the name of Hughes said it like this. He defined the Greek word that we have translated in my Bible as, uh, as uh, shameful secret things. It says this. He says, it signifies a cunning reading, uh, readiness, excuse me, readiness to adopt any device or trickery to achieve the ends which are anything but altruistic. In other words, uh, it is the end that matters. 
doesn't matter what the means we have, don't matter what we have to do in order to achieve what we want. It's a very deceptive kind of thing. Listen, we don't have to live that way. In Christ, we can live our, sel- our lives. Uh, listen, uh, uh, the, the test of a real true believer is not what you look like on Sunday. What, what you look like on Monday morning when you have to get up and go to work and you got everybody, everything going wrong. The car won't start. The, uh, you know, the air conditioning broke during the night. Oh, whatever it is. And on Monday morning, everything faces you. You ought to be as a believer because of the treasure inside of you, because of the joy that you're supposed to have that you celebrated on Sunday, on Monday morning. You ought to look just like you did when you were saying joy to the Lord on Sunday. Because that's what this is all about. This treasure gives you joy in your life. And we have a life. See, it's, it's impossible for you to do something uh, in secret that is shameful, that distorts your message and your message, excuse me, your mes- message and the message that God has used for you to reach the world and then come into church and honor and glorify Him. That doesn't work, guys. That just doesn't work. We have a life that is... Provided for us. And listen, if we're not careful, we'll distort the message, what it says in the verse there. It says we don't distort. How do we do that? Well, sometimes we have an authority. Now, let me make sure you understand. A minister of the gospel, uh, he is divinely called. He has the ability, he or she has the ability to have a trustworthy life. You should be. And, and secondly, thirdly, you have an authentic message. I, don't you love that? I mean, you don't have to make it up. It's already been said for us. We got a message. It's called His Word. And we don't have to trust in anything else. We can trust in His Word. He, he, he says here in His Word that uh, in, in the particular thing, in the passage of Scripture I read there in verse 2, He says, not only do we renounce shameful things, but n- not walking in deceit or distorting God's message, but commending ourselves to every pers- person's conscience in God's sight by an open display of the truth. The truth. We don't have to lie about it. We don't have to distort it. How do we distort things? Real quickly, we distort, I think, and, and even in his time, in Paul's time, but I think in our time too. We distort the gospel when we add to it. In, in his day and time, there were these people called Judaizers, and they were praying on the Gentile Christians. They'd say, listen, you're not fully saved until you accept the ritualistic things that we do in Judaism. You've got to not only accept him as Lord, but also do this as well. You think, well, that's crazy. You don't have to do it. The Bible doesn't say that. Well, <laughs> hang on. Hang on. Do we do that today? This is what American missionaries have to really deal with at times. Thinking that the way we do it is the only way there is to do it. The way that we worship is the only way you're supposed to worship. Uh, I may have told you this before, but in my first church plan, a man, young man by the name of Chuck, rough dude, beard, hair, and all that kind of stuff, Finally, his wife finally convinced him to go to church. Went to the First Baptist Church. No one spoke to him. He he was rough. He had a studded a leather jacket, and he just he was. Yeah, I mean, he was a character. He looked he looks uh, wow. He looked scary. Wasn't a believer. No one spoke to him. And finally, at the end, one of the deacons came up to him and said, "Sir, uh, you might be more comfortable somewhere else." Yeah, he said, you need to go to that mission that we support, my church. And uh, he said, I'm not going to church anywhere. Told his wife. So I began to, I would go to his house. 
I began to minister to him. He fried chicken one time. He, boy, he's a good fried chicken fire. I said, hey, we're having a fellowship. We need chicken. He did. And we began to reach out to him, and we led him to Christ. I had the privilege of leading him to Christ one day, and he, his life forever changed. He played in a band in a bar, played bass. Now he's playing bass in a praise band in church. Because someone said, listen, you don't have to look like me, talk like me, act like me to be saved. All you got to do is accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. We're going to love you no matter what you look like. Our youngest son taught me that. He left high school, went to Chicago to work with Jesus people in downtown. He got tattoos of the cross and ichthus and the Jesus and everything and, and i didn't like it i don't i i, I didn't like it but i there wasn't nothing i argued because because i watched him share jesus with his tattoos he shared jesus on the cross with a tattoo on his leg and, and told somebody about jesus how can you argue with that he was speaking speaking to people with bone through their noses and all kinds of scary looking folks but listen they need jesus too and they don't have to dress like me and walk like me. When Greta and I would walk down the street with John, John looking a little you know, different than us, and we're walking down the street, and all the folks on the street there in Chicago, I mean all the wild-looking folks, they say, Hey, John, how you doing? Now, the, the one thing is they knew John. Hmm, how did they know John? Because John went to them with the gospel, the treasure that he had inside of them. They saw him as being authentic with his message. And then they would look at us. And John, I love him. I love that boy so much. He put his arm around his mom and dad and said, It's my parents. Really? That's your parents? Yeah. Got my short haircut, you know, look at them. Okay. Anyway. I lost my train of thought there. Okay. <laughs> God, that, that was a great experience. But we distort the gospel when we add to its requirement. But be careful. We can go to the extreme the other way. We can make it, we can distort the gospel by saying easy believing. Oh, you can be saved. Then you can do whatever you want to. Paul said salvation means freedom. But he also said in Romans chapter 6, he said, but does that mean we can do anything we want to? And he says here emphatically, he says, absolutely not. So, well, we need not be afraid to let people know what the requirements are of being a Christian, what the expectations of being a Christian are. Will you forsake sinful lifestyles? We, we cannot. And, and the church in America, religion in, the, in America today, I think has made a, a real big problem uh, in, in uh, some of our denominations across this nation of ours. They said, okay, well, it, we'll just accept your sin just so that we'll love you and you can be a part of our us. Well... Yes, we need to love them. Yes, we need to reach out to them. Yes, we need to show them the love of Jesus. But we cannot say their sin is okay to practice and still be a child of the king. That's my, that's my view. Okay? That's my view alone. But I believe it's the scripture's view. And for a Christian or a church to accept or condone sinful lifestyle just to be politically correct is a distortion of the Word of God. And God will not honor that. We distort it when we mess it up. One final thing, and then we'll be done. I believe the minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ 
this treasure, this status as a minister, we have a very clear focus. Look what he says in verse 5. He says, For we are not proclaiming ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your slaves because of Jesus. In other words, our focus is clearly on Jesus. Our job is to tell the world about Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. When you don't know what to pray, just say Jesus. There's something about the name of Jesus that saves lives and turns people's hearts around. Our focus is clearly on Him. It's not on social matters, although when you focus on Jesus, social matters are dealt with. People's problems are dealt with when we focus on Jesus. When it's all about Him, our focus is always on Him. Then we, as it says in verse 7, are just merely the vessels that carry the message that delivers hope and joy for the world. You know, let me describe it to you this way. This treasure I have inside of me tells me that there's joy inside of me that no one can steal. That no one can take away. It's kind of like a, an old church choir that's deep down inside of me. I want to illustrate it by showing you this video. That's the big number one song, Chainbreaker, from Zach Williams. And now we've got his brand new song. Sing along. This is Old Church Choir. There's revival and spreading like a wildfire in my heart. A Sunday morning, hallelujah, and it's lasting all week long. Can you hear it? Can you feel it?
inside of us, not only will it never allow our joy to be stolen, but it will never stop the proclamation of the Word of God. Folks, I'd rather be involved in it than not involved in it. You and I have a call that's not optional to share the good news of Jesus Christ and to share with them a, a feeling inside like a gospel choir that you can't stop. Folks, We've been called as ministers. Now that your response and mine is to actually minister. And if you're here today and you're not, you've been just coasting through this thing about being a Christian. You think it's all, it only involves Sunday morning and some rituals. Folks, it's, I'm telling you, being a Christian is all about out there every day. And the only way you can face that and do so is in the power of the treasure that is found inside of you. And if you don't know Christ here today, you come during our invitation song. And, and, and we'll be glad to pray with you and help you find Jesus for the very first time. And have that feeling, old church choir feeling inside of you, that joy. If you are here and you are a believer but you've just been coasting around, I want you to know to stop it. And get serious about the ministry you've been called to do. And recommit your life to Him. Whatever God's dealing with you about today in your heart and in your life, would you come? We're going to sing an invitation song. What are we going to sing, Paula? 64 in your hymn books. It might be on here as well. And as we sing in just a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand with me if you would please. Every Stand and I would ask you to bow your heads just for a moment. Every head bowed and every eye closed. And if there had been anyone, whether you've made a decision for Christ and you need to make that public, you come. Whether you need to recommit your heart to Jesus, you come. Whether you need to kneel at this altar and pray and do a little business with the Lord, you come. Maybe you need to join a, a local body of Christ, you come. Whatever God's dealing with you, you need some prayer, you come. And I'll be glad to pray with you uh, this morning. Father, I pray for courage in this place. Lord, I pray that you would uh, move here among us, Lord Jesus. Restore, Lord Jesus, the joy, the joy, Lord, that is ours in Christ Jesus today. In your name I pray, amen. Let's sing this song.